Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the fourth episode of my podcast, Golden State Holiers. Today, I'll be interviewing uh, my life group leader, Jeff. He leads me and my friends at the church I go to, Menlo Church. And today, I'm just going to be interviewing him about what like faith means to him and kind of how he's seen that in his you know role as, as a mentor to us. So, Jeff, thank you so much for being on here. It means a lot. Really my pleasure, Nate. I was yeah. flattered that you asked me. So thanks for asking me. Yeah, of course. All right, so let's just get right into it. So first, what attracted you to Christianity and like what keeps you grounded today? My, I think that's an invitation to kind of what we would call a testimony. And I think mine is kind of interesting. I started going to church as a child, but it's not because my parents went to church. My My mother in particular, I'm Chinese American, I'm third generation, and my mother was looking for a place where I could get a good moral education, much like she would get had gotten herself as a girl in Chinese school, having grown up in Oakland, large Chinese population. Church was about the best that she could think of, and so I ended up going to a pretty conservative Protestant church. It was a Baptist denomination. It was an it was actually an ethnic church, although the ethnic groups when it was formed was Swedish, so it was originally the Swedish Baptist Church that this Chinese American wow. kid went to. Um, and the and the message at that time in the in the sixties, in these kinds of churches was very, what we would call now, kind of scare you into into faith. And I was scared that I would go to hell. And so I said, well, yes, I want to be a Christian, but I don't think I had a full understanding of what it meant at that time. I'm sure I didn't have a full understanding of what it meant at that time. I would say that I found that I came to faith, that I made a decision to be a disciple of, of Jesus when I was in college. And the part of the gospel message which really made an impact on me was the part of the Christian gospel which says Jesus Christ, Son of God, came to earth as a real human and actually died. And the reason that he died was so that all our sins could be forgiven. And I heard the pain and the agony and the love. And I thought, if God is willing to show me this kind of love, I have to respond in love, and I have to respond with a with a spirit of of service and and gratitude, and that's how I that's how I came to my faith as a Christian. Can I ask? So, you you know, you said like this. You kind of came to this realization when you were in, um, you know, the later years of life of your life. Did you kind of feel like? Did you feel this kind of attraction early on, or like was it just because you also mentioned that you're very scared? But did you also kind of feel this connection and you kind of saw like God's love early on as well? Or was it kind of, did that kind of manifest itself as you matured? The church experience was, the the church experience when I was, uh, you know, grade school, junior high school, high school, wasn't wasn't all that bad. There would be a message from the pulpit every once in a while about, you know, going to hell. And I didn't like that part at all. And I still think that that's kind of the, wrong way to go about uh, convincing people that Christianity is a good thing. But the community was very warm and very welcoming. It was about 200 people. The adults cared for the kids and 
there was lots of good community stuff, lots of good friendships. The adults, I mean, I to this day, I have very, very good feelings about about some of them who, you know, were good listeners. Uh, I keep coming back to care. It, it was a very caring community. And I think that that was what was attractive at that point, even though I would not say that I was Christian as I think about being a Christian now. I see. Okay. So what, what challenges you most about your faith? I think as far as my faith is concerned, I think I'm pretty comfortable in it. I think the challenges are, are, I struggle, you know, you, you, you had a list of questions for me and I did struggle with this. I, I think the struggles are, struggles are the, are the part of the gospel which are difficult to live out because I think that the Bible, especially the New Testament, but to some extent the Old Testament too, is telling us that as Christians, we are to serve, we're to love everybody, we're to care especially for those who are oppressed, those who are under-resourced. Um, and I know that it's it's difficult for me as a normal human being to have that posture all the time, which yeah. is why I think it's a great part of the gospel, which says that part of knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior and part of following him as a disciple means that God as God is going to supernaturally empower you to be able to do these things, which as human beings we find very hard to do. And I lean into that strongly. And I find that from time to time, I it's obvious to me that uh, that does happen. Um, I'm in a work situation and I am so angry because the the whatever project I'm in at that point, especially if it's with an outside company, is naturally adversarial. And they may be, a, you know, a terrible person to work with. And I know that there have been examples, which I've been able to show to, to my coworkers, where I'm just somehow able to harness the anger and take that step back and bring reasonable, po- reasonable posture, which brings down the energy of the room and makes it possible to come to a solution where both sides are willing to work in a rational, trusting, uh, uh, good faith kind of way. And it amazes me to see that happen in my life because in and of myself, I don't think I could make that happen. Yeah. And, and, you know, coming back to what you kind of said earlier, like I think you bring up a good point about how I think, you know, sometimes when people are, you know, looking at their faith, something that can seem daunting is kind of living up to all these like, you know, like, you know, kind of artificial standards that they kind of portray or they kind of uh, find themselves looking at about like, you know, how to act and, you know, just, you know, being, trying to model your life after like Jesus, you know, 24 seven. And, you know, I want to ask as kind of follow up, like, do you feel like you have that like pressure, like 24 seven or is it, or would you not describe it as a pressure and as something else? Because I know that kind of has like a negative connotation, but I do, you know, you know, kind of infer that that's something that a lot of people think about and it might be something that gives them a lot of conflict as well. Mm. 
Uh, no, I don't think about it 24-7. I don't think about it most of the time. I think I try to... I would say no, and I think that in part that's because I'm not presented with those issues constantly. Uh, I mean, we are, as we record this podcast, there are a lot of things going on in the world which are very difficult to look at and make us seem, make make the situation seem hopeless. Um, and, you know, I've shared a couple of personal setbacks in my life. I've had a death of a very close family member and it it makes for a very stressful kind kind of life, but my faith tells me that besides what I can do, I can also pray, and God is able to work within those situations in ways that we have no idea how God will work these things out for the good of people involved. But we pray with that faith, and we. I believe that the, that our prayers can change something. And so I sit with the knowledge that, that God is, is powerful, uh, that God loves us, and that he will answer prayers. And the best thing that I can do in those moments, as I'm listening to the news, as I feel stress coming on, is to pray, you know, to sit with God. I see. Thank you for that um, explanation. Um, so moving on, what would you say is the most interesting element about living in this area, in particularly Silicon Valley and Bay Area in general, that has had a tangible effect on your faith? I don't know that it that these influences would have any different effect on my faith than if I lived in any other part of the country. But it is fascinating especially when I leave the Bay Area and I make a short trip down to LA or something. Here in Silicon Valley, within the confines of the peninsula, San Francisco to San Jose, it is amazing how much wealth there is and how much obvious wealth there is to drive through our neighborhood to see our beautiful homes, large apartments, very recent model cars, it, it is so different anywhere else. And having and being at the age where I am and having seen so much of the history of Silicon Valley, to know that so much of the, of the technology that surrounds us these days uh, came, originated from, from companies or individuals who lived in this area with us. It's mind-boggling to to realize what what a period I've been allowed to live through. So the challenge, I think, is to not take on that halo for myself and think, oh my goodness, you know, wealth and power and knowledge and and entrepreneurship and and think, Oh, you poor people who live anywhere else but Silicon Valley. <laughs> you poor people. You, you know, you, you, you have you have been unsuccessful in living out your lives for any impactful reason. I think that's one of the most difficult things about living in, in Silicon Valley, and realizing that in the scheme of things, uh, you know, we we are no greater in the eyes of God. In fact, it's really a call to be more humble than we are, because most of it is not our doing. Most of it is just kind of the air we breathe. 
And uh, it's mostly by happenstance. It's all totally by happenstance that we were born in a, in a time and a place where we can experience these things. Totally. I, I actually, I've never really thought about it that way. So I appreciate that response. So why have you committed so much time to leading both kid and our student and adult life groups? These days, I'm very fortunate in that I've had a solid working career and have been able to retire and retire comfortably. So in the scheme of things, the commitment I have to the student group and the commitment I have to my adult Bible study group is not that great. I think that I spend maybe four hours a week total in terms of preparation and attendance at the student groups, maybe another four hours a week uh, preparation and attendance for the adult group. Um, I mean, it's a, day, it's a day's worth, you know, it's a day's work altogether. Uh, but in the scheme of things, it's, it's, it's not that much time. The adult group, I get a lot out of that because there's Bible study involved. And if it were not for that constant drumbeat of a weekly schedule, I don't think I would be as regular in, in Bible study as uh, as I would be otherwise. I'm kind of a lazy guy. That's my lazy nature coming out. The student group was a little different, though. As you know, I started to substitute for your cohort while you were third graders. And after about three or four substitution uh, dates, there was a slideshow of some families who had gone on a mission trip. And I recognized like three or four faces in uh, as being from our life group, our, our small group. And I realized that I recognized you guys and I had good feelings about you guys. And I, at that point, I felt a call from God. And I can't say that's happened many times in my life at all. But it was pretty clear that I needed to replicate what I had experienced as a young person myself. To have an adult who I, in the church, who I became familiar with, who I knew cared, who I knew was willing to listen and would feel difficult questions when I had those difficult questions, because I believe Christian faith is not straightforward. There are always questions, and we could spend a whole nother podcast talking about those questions in which the church is seen one way from the outside world, but in reality, there are thoughtful people within the church who are trying to grapple with those issues. I wanted to be that person to the to the few students in our cohort all the way through graduation. If you know if God were were gracious enough to to let me be able to serve that long, and here you are, you guys are all seniors now. I knew I was playing a long game. A third grader cannot have the kinds of discussions and the kinds of dis- discerning thinking that a junior or a senior in high school can. So I have been playing a long game. I've been waiting for 11th and 12th grade. I have not been disappointed. It was worth the wait. But I just wanted to be that caring adult for a small group of students because I think that's a part of what the church should offer to students. Yeah, like, you know, having been with you these past, you know, decade or so, like, uh, I can... 
I think, yeah, looking back, like just having that like one-on-one -on -one time was, or not just like, you know, small group time. I think it was kind of one of the most memorable parts about going to church because um, I think got, I, for me, at least, like I got this kind of sense that, uh, you know, there was someone that like, yeah, wanted to kind of, you know, walk with me as I kind of explore my faith, especially, you know, when in the years when I was kind of maturing more, uh, I thought that was really important. And just to kind of have like that voice there for me, you know, no matter what I was thinking, uh, I think looking back, like that was really helpful for me. Uh, and so I, I resonate a lot with what you, um, you said. Thank um, you, Nate. I really appreciate yeah. you saying that. Yeah. Of course. So um, kind of related, um, what is one piece of advice you'd give to someone who wants to become a better leader and guiding others who, you know, practice similar faith or maybe encouraging like deeper conviction? Hmm. I have never sought out leadership roles. That's not just, that's never really been my part of my DNA, uh, which is not to say I haven't had leadership roles. I, I have, and I call myself a reluctant leader. And I think I found myself in those spots because my desire has always been to, to plug in and serve in, in areas where I thought that needed that kind of help. Uh, so uh, our 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 small group, our student small group, for instance, there's always a need for small group leaders uh, for 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 children and and for students. And I was fortunate enough enough fortunate enough to 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 the call and willing to take a chance to step up to answer that call. And I guess it. You know, in leading the group, I am, I clearly have the label of a leader, but my objective was to serve in a capacity. My, my objective was not to lead. Um, I'm a resource person for you guys. You know, I've offered to, uh, you know, to answer diff any difficult questions that you might have. Um, it's not really a leadership role in any sense, except it's called a leader. Uh, same thing would be true for uh, uh, helping with the lighting and the sound and the graphics uh, uh, tech stuff at, at for the student group that I've taken on recently. And again, I sensed that there was a need. I knew that I had some skill set to uh, be able to do that with with some sense of, of uh, capability. And uh, you know, now we're trying to put together a plan where that can be uh, self-propagating in terms of a student-led uh, effort. Uh, but really, it's been about service. It hasn't really been so much about leadership. And I think that the Bible is very clear that, you know, if you if you really want to be a leader, you have to be willing to be among the least um, yeah. of of you know uh, uh, to 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 regard yourself humbly uh, rather than seeking to to be a leader. Uh, so that's a path that I've taken. I see. Um, would you say like your faith has grown by being a leader or, or you know, being in these, some of these positions where you're guiding others? Yes, I, I would agree with that. Uh, I mean, I've been in some committees, some groups where we've had to grapple with very difficult issues. And uh, what has to be humble, willing to listen to others, 
Um, even if their points of view are very different from yours in the moment, because if you believe that everyone in your group is an honest agent, is being an honest agent, they hold their opinions sincerely without agenda. And so it's important that that you treat their opinions as as with as high regard as you treat your own. Right, right. So, despite uh, the changing world, which is, you know, very much a theme right now, uh, what is one aspect of Christianity that you see, you know, is as promising, you know, as we head kind of into the next, into the future, next couple of decades? Christianity is all about a personal relationship with, with God and with each individual. And I think that that is where I have found hope in my life um, and seeing how the more dramatic instances of change in people's lives uh, also gives hope. And I think with a deep, well-founded faith, there is well-being despite the tumult that, that rages around us. And so uh, I think that that's the role that Christianity plays in a difficult world. Uh, to see that, uh, and, and, and then the thought that I would add on top of that is that one gets hope when one sees that individuals are still able to step up and make, it, make a difference. Uh, yeah, and I've lived long enough to see that that has happened in the past. And it helps temper how dire the current situation is. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, for me too, personally, like, uh, I think one of the most comforting things about Christianity for me is like, just how I feel like it's, um, I think it makes people, um, you know, better versions of themselves. And I think, and like that, at its essence, is something that like will continue to kind of, yeah, like you say, kind of improve our world in a lot of different ways. And so, yeah, I, I agree. Like, I feel like I can always kind of, when I think about, yeah, all the kind of stuff that's happened recently, uh, I, I still feel uh, good about kind of what Christianity is doing for um, society and it's how it's helping people. Uh, yeah, I also very much agree with that. Um, uh, so, kind of in conscious and like on the flip side, I want to ask, what is kind of an area for improvement, and where do you see maybe potential for deeper faith? Uh, this is very like open ended. Like it could be like in yourself, or you know, in the attitudes of you know the general followers, or the church, or the government. Would you rephrase that question? I'm not sure I'm following. Yeah, I, I think uh, I guess what I'm getting at here is like. Um, Obviously, the you know the church and, and just general practice, you know, especially over here, has changed a lot. Um, and I just guess what I, I wanted to ask, like, what's maybe one thing you'd like um, to see um, like changed in like a better way about practice, um, out of all its different facets? Yeah, I don't think a lot about the institutional church. 
again, age has given me a perspective uh, on this topic. And I think that faith is very much a personal thing um, in terms of in terms of practice and in terms of discipline. I mean, I've talked about this, the term disciple or discipleship uh, during our time together. And what that means is that, what that means to me is that I need to be devout in my pursuit of my religion. So there are many within our society, many within the United States who call themselves Christian. They are kind of came Christian, but I, but I believe that many of them have not read their Bible. I mean, they probably haven't read 10% of their Bible. They probably most likely have not read their Bible uh, in a systematic manner. In other words, they haven't read it. They have not read the complete text of the Bible, much less uh, done repeated readings or done uh, systematic studies of, of books of the Bible. So first of all, to be a disciple, one needs to be familiar with the source materials. And many of your listeners will uh, know about primary sources, uh, particularly from APUSH. I remember that being a term that uh, my kids brought back from school when they were doing APUSH. Source materials. The Bible is, a, you know, is, is as close as we get to source materials for our Christian faith. Uh, uh, a regular practice of prayer, a regular practice of gathering together with other Christians uh, to do worship and to do celebration and to do study. Uh, that's why I call it a disciple. And there aren't enough disciples uh, uh, within the Christian churches just because it's a difficult path to follow. And even if a church is trying to encourage encourage its parishioners to be disciples, it's all, it's it's difficult to do. It's demanding. It's difficult, uh, and it's the ability to encourage more people to be disciples that will really change our churches and change the impact and the effectiveness of our churches. Uh, I don't, I don't know that the, uh, a change in the culture of a church, uh, which is a whole nother topic would, would really change the outcome of the churches themselves as we think about them as institutions, barring a larger number of, of their attendees uh, in a path of discipleship. Yeah, that's, um, I think, such an important topic that you're touching upon, which is like, um, yeah, discipleship. I think in this area, uh, I've seen like, I think what keeps a lot of people um, especially people that I know, like away from kind of going deeper in their faith is kind of like just the busyness and the crazy like hustle culture around here. And I'm uh, wondering if you could maybe speak to like how, uh, you know, it's possible for, you know, deeper engagement faith and this kind of like hustle culture to kind of coexist in a way. Because uh, I know that's very much, I think, a problem around here and probably contributes to, you know, the sense of like people not wanting to practice deeply because they feel like they're just not going to get out of it if they're always thinking about all this other stuff they have to do. Yeah. 
Well, I think one of the things that, that I'm observing is that uh, any kind of regular practice, uh, let me try that again. I think that one thing that I've observed in our local area, and I think it probably has spread throughout the United States, is that we don't have a particular time slot that we set aside for our spiritual practice. Uh, it used to be that on Sunday mornings, if you had the label of you know a Christian, uh, you would more likely than not find yourself in church, whether you were paying attention or not, uh, you were going to be in church. Excuse me. Uh, and now, uh, church is just one option on a Sunday morning. And um, uh, one of the things that encouraged me to become a small group leader for students was even at that time, um, the, the average family in our church attended church on average fewer than two times a month. And so one of the reasons why I decided to be a, a, uh, a permanent group leader, small group leader, uh, was so that I would have be there and I would be I would have more contact with the students, even over the longer term, uh, course of a year or something like that. Uh, and I think that the pandemic has decreased the frequency with which people uh, are in are in church just because they've gotten out of the habit. Um, so setting aside consciously uh, setting aside time uh, uh, to contemplate on faith, even to to signal that that's a fixed amount of time that you're devoting to your faith during during the week. It's, I think that's an important marker, even for us as individuals. You know, this is a non-negotiable because uh, when it becomes one of an of one option um, because of your weekend, um, I think that that says something about your priorities as well. Right. Um, so, yeah, segueing to th this next question, um, would you say to someone who maybe doesn't have this, like, you know, you know, faith as a priority, but wants to kind of gradually kind of shift or maybe explore in that direction? Um, do you get some more about like, just kind of putting yourself in those situations or putting yourself, you're just go kind of going to church and just kind of gradually kind of shifting to that um, lifestyle? Yeah, I think that uh, somebody really has a has a desire to put more emphasis on their faith i think they have to to put a non-negotiable into their schedule somehow uh, church attendance is is an easy way to do that uh, because you're you then become accountable to the people around you people will say oh you know we know you come regularly but we missed you this week and the peer pressure uh, can be a helpful way of getting you back into that practice that you desire to do. Another way to do it uh, be to set aside a half an hour a week into your own schedule for your own personal study, but I think that's a lot harder to maintain. 
I think the analogy to exercise or working out is very apt in this case. I mean, if you decided that you wanted to develop a habit of working out, you wanted to work out more regularly, you wanted to develop strength or you wanted to develop endurance, but you didn't tell your, you didn't make yourself go to the gym uh, every Monday, Wednesday, Friday at, at 7 a.m., uh, you would not get, a, you would not become stronger. You would not develop endurance. You wouldn't lose weight. It, it's very analogous. It's very analogous. Uh, you know, you can't grow your faith by wishing that you can grow your, your faith. You can't get into better shape by wishing you were in better shape. Totally. Uh, what about like for people that maybe see that they have peers or friends, um, family members that are interested in exploring a new faith? What, uh, what advice would you have for those people um, kind of maybe nudge those people along um, in like a, you know, constructive, supportive way? Mm -hmm. Would, I would say uh, uh, that you should certainly engage with them um, and engage on a regular basis, uh, depending on the nature of your relationship. You could arrange just to find a time to get together every week to talk, you know, sit down over coffee, uh, uh, make yourself available uh, to answer questions. Um, that's a very good way to start. Uh, you can certainly do it in more formal ways. Uh, um, as a Christian, if I had somebody who uh, had questions about the Christian faith, would certainly be welcome the opportunity to sit down with them and talk. But I might look for a good book, uh, which uh, you know I think would be helpful in their situation. Uh, I mean, any anything to encourage a conversation. Uh, as as a starting point. Thank you. I, I think those are very um, practical, but like simple things that everyone can do. Um, and I think uh, I, I have to believe like there's be some like sort of stigma around, um, you know, kind of public doing that kind of publicly or just kind of showing that side of you that like, you know, kind of evangelist side, because I think often here, especially people can kind of view that, you know, negatively, uh, you know, very quickly. Um, uh, but yeah, I think I like what you said about just kind of being open to people and just kind of expressing that, uh, like inviting nature, because I think that's a lot of what, um, you know, Jesus and, and, and God represent for me is just like, um, open invitation for deeper, deeper um, faith and trust. Um, I've really had to to rethink. I, I grew up in a time when there was a lot of aggressive proselytizing going on. Uh, you know, you would it was like being a salesperson, and I always had difficulty with that approach. And these days, I do a lot of thinking about how I talk about my faith because I think my personal experience should speak for itself. Uh, I, I still find it difficult to have those kinds of conversations because, uh, especially in the current environment, uh, evangelicals have a bad name. Uh, evangelicals as a type 
are thought to be uh, rigid and uh, preachy and, um, you know, have strong political ends in mind. And uh, my faith is not that kind of faith. Uh, my faith is about um, uh, fullness of life that Jesus promises uh, when we enter into a relationship with him and personal relationship with him. Um, what I try to convey when I talk about my faith and when I think about my faith, you know, what really have I experienced personally? Uh, you know, what opportunities does it offer up? And the opportunities that it offers is not wealth, uh, service, which may seem like a drag, but there's a lot of joy in, in a life of service um, in the name of my faith. I, I totally see that. Uh, so maybe just to end this off, um, to ask what, you know, over these, uh, you know, the many years of your um, practice, uh, is one, you know, positive thing that you've kind of learned and taken away uh, the years? Mm. I have, I have not been disappointed in the fact that I have been a disciple of Jesus all these years. Uh, I've seen people's lives change for the better. Um, I uh, have been challenged in living a, a good kind of life, a right kind of life, a life of service and found it to be rewarding. Um, and I have been blessed by others who have also tried to live as disciples. Uh, I've been blessed to see the, the wonderful kinds of people that they are, um, have it, which, which validates my belief that the right thing to do is to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. So. I uh, I think that's a really good um, putting it um, kind of your experience with your faith and um, I'm really glad that people get to hear this because I think it's very like helpful. Um, oh. So yeah, I just wanted to say um, you for uh, answering all these questions. I know they they're not exactly super straightforward. Uh, I think I I learned a lot from all your answers and I think people listening will as well. So yeah, thank you so much. Thanks again for the opportunity, Nate. This is really yeah. special for me. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, of course.